Hey gang, it's John. Um, I felt like I should say something at the beginning of this recap. I don't normally do intros for these. But um, Yan and I recorded this at the beginning of April. And when we did, uh, we had just found out that former guest and friend of the show, Matthew Seligman, had come down with COVID-19. We know now that he has since passed away from that. And so I just wanted to mention that real quick because in case any of you thought that was weird or were confused, if you understand the timeline, that's why. So... Anyway, our hats off to uh, Matthew. We loved him. He's been a great supporter of our show. Uh, he was a fantastic musician. It is so unbelievably tragic what has happened, and uh, it pains us. I don't know if any of you have been following Thomas Dolby. I hear updates from a lot of you who find those things or see them quicker than I do, but uh, he's been so loving and so supportive and put out some uh, tribute songs to him. Bruce Woolley, our recent guest, wrote one as well so anyway lots of great matthew seligman tributes out there if you want to find them in fact we were quoted in one on ultimate um classic rock.com which is a real honor bittersweet honor anyway we want to start the show with a little bit of uh soft boys from underwater moonlight and uh pay a little bit of a tribute to matthew here okay thanks gang here we are yan at the end of q1 uh doing our quarterly update or a quarterly recap of how our last few months have gone. Anything new with you? How are you handling the quarantining? You know, I've got that. You probably saw that big screen photograph. <laughs> that I put right. Up. right. <laughs> yeah. With the jumbotron. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I, you know, I have that, so I can sit there. I can work from home, no problem. Okay. I, I like the option of working from home, but I prefer to be in the office. I'm just a little more productive that way. Are you watching anything or reading any interesting books or how are you filling some of your downtime these days? Also, I've got the episodes to do and then I've got uh, I've got some books that I'm mm. I'm reading. I've, I've borrowed a book from one of the guys at work and mm. it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Good. Good. Yeah, I um, I would give anything to sit and binge a show or read a book, but with our kids here too, we're trying our very best to to keep them structured in some way. So every day, yeah, we all kind of sleep in till nine or 10 or whatever, but then we try to get them to read a book for an hour and then do some homework and then do a chore and get some exercise. And when they've done all that, then they can have like an hour of screen time uh, normally we're very passionately anti-screen time. So the whole fight in life when you're a parent at this stage is keeping your kids off screens all day because that's all they want to do. So, right. yeah. So I, I never get the chance to, I mean, I try to sneak in, you know, a few minutes of a book here or a show there, but it's not, uh, it's too difficult most days. So so what does your state have in terms of stay-at-home regulation? Is it a full-on lockdown? Yeah, it is a lockdown. I did hear the other day that California is limiting people to even traveling only within five miles of their house. So one thing I have been trying to do is I try to go for a long walk every day. And by long, I mean like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, get in 12 to or 10 to 12,000 steps or so. 
So I'll walk all over the neighborhood and I think that's okay. In Colorado, I'm pretty sure it's okay. But in, if I were in California, there might be limitations. I'll tell you, my daughter's best friend, um, she, I think, is just turning 14 today, actually. She plays volleyball. And her and one of her volleyball uh, teammates were getting so claustrophobic that they went to the park, set up a net, and just started hitting a volleyball to each other which you would think would be fine. I mean, that's plenty of social distancing. But apparently a cop came up and said, you guys can't be here and you can't do this. And uh, so they had to stop doing that. I guess by having a net up, they invi were inviting people. It looked too much like a social gathering versus a, you know, two people just hitting a ball around in a park. Um, right. So anyway, it yeah, me and the boys try to go outside and throw the football and play catch. And uh, it's, um, you know, you're just basically shuffling between four or five rooms in your house at this point, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. Here, here, the exercise thing, people, they're encouraging people to go out and have some exercise, but they're saying don't drive somewhere to go exercise. Oh, keep it really? Within five, keep it within five minutes of your home. Okay. You okay. Know, within walking distance of your home. Yeah. Are you able to do anything? Do you get uh, out and do something? I should. Yeah. <laughs> we all should, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. Was, I was playing football before that. So. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I haven't managed to injure myself again yet. So. Good. No concussions. No. Oh, that's great. Okay. That's a relief. <laughs> um, so, okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about, before we get into the recapping of the last few months of episodes, I've been debating whether to talk about this. I think I'm going to talk about it anyway. So in December, I lost my job. And if anyone who... We're going to get personal here for a minute, folks. And uh, I'm not happy about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So in December, I lost my job. And if you are counting, that means, yes, I lost two jobs in 2019. Where I had been at one software company being working very successfully for many years. That company got acquired. When the company acquired them, they laid off like almost 5,000 people. Everybody was out of, out of a job. I knew that was coming. And so I went and got a job with another software company, but they were very small. And uh, they, they thought that if they hired some salespeople that their fortunes would change. And it was clear very quickly that that wasn't gonna happen. And so that lasted five or six months. And then I quickly went and worked for another software company. And um, I have friends there. They've been around for a while. They're still small-ish, but they've been around for a while. I've heard good things. And I started on a Wednesday. And the following Monday, the new senior VP of sales started. And he just had a very different view of where he wanted the company to go, specifically the sales team. And it was very much not what I had signed up for. Now, I tried to just put my head down and, uh, you know, work through it, but he was, uh, I don't know if any of you out there have worked at places with very toxic environments where uh, people are being fired all the time or they want to leave on their own and no one's happy. Everyone's looking for other jobs. Tension is tight. Morale is low. That's what this guy brought to this company. And it was a real shame. I mean, I, I was bummed for myself because I'd just gotten there and was excited to work for, at a fun place with my friends. And it changed immediately. It, never mind all the people who had been there for years, loving their job. And now suddenly it's a completely different job and no one's happy. And everyone's either getting fired 
in and being replaced with friends of his, including his mistress, believe it or not, or they're just unhappy and wanting to leave. And that's what happened. And in December, he uh, let me go. And uh, about a week later, he got left let go for sexual harassment, actually. So just to give you an ex- I'm, not, I'm just trying to paint a picture here of what it was, what it was like. So last, that's why in our last recap, I was talking about how kind of unstable 2019 was for me. And it really was. And I'm not, I'm not used to that. I, I'm used to just going to work and being someplace for a long time and doing my job. And it wasn't, I wasn't able to do that last year. So this, uh, as you can imagine, because it was in December, the holidays were not fun. My poor wife is and was very concerned. I mean, when you're in sales, you lose jobs sometimes. So this isn't the first time this has happened to me, but two back to back like that was a real concern. And so, you know, we did, we had a really scaled down Christmas. Thank goodness we're both really frugal. And so we've, we, we have lots of money in savings. We're fine. You know, um, I, you don't want to spend all your savings on stuff like this. You know, you hope you can get another job and keep the cushion big, but, um, Thankfully, we've been saving for a rainy day, and it's raining. So the holidays were rough. We went to Utah over the holidays, stayed with family. It was kind of the elephant in the room, what a loser John is, and lazy, and whatever else. And then our car broke down on the drive home, and we had to stay an extra day. Thankfully, it broke down at the very beginning of our drive, so we just were able to go back to my sister's house and stay there while it was getting fixed. And... um, all of this was rough. And I think because of it being the holidays, of course, no one's really hiring over the holidays or whatever. So I'm still not back to work. And uh, I, I think I'm close, thankfully, but this has been almost four months now. And uh, this is a real kick in the nuts. I'm not used to this, you know? Yeah. In February, Farah lost her job. And uh, now she didn't lose it in the same way I lost mine. She was contracting with an advertising agency and the client that she was contracting for decided not to renew their uh, contract for the next year at the same cost, which was like a million bucks. You know, they decided not to do it again. So she there was no need for her to continue to work. So that's both of us. And I hope no one gets the wrong idea, but we're we're both big fans of like going to marriage counseling, you know, and maybe you can relate to this yet when, you know, you're doing fine for a while and then you kind of fall in a rut where you, you stop communicating effectively with each other and you stop listening and you pick up some bad habits and it starts to kind of devolve for a little while. And we're thankfully, both of us are in tune enough to be able to say, you know what, we should go back to marriage counseling. Let's get some therapy, work through this. And we'll go three or four times and we'll kind of, oh yeah, you know, you, I remember now you get back on the same page and then you, I don't need, we don't need to go anymore. And then we're good for a couple of years. And then you kind of fall back into the rut. But because of all of this, you know, we started going to therapy. Uh, I personally think we probably need to go to individual therapy, me specifically. And it, through therapy, it's been very helpful, very helpful. We really like it. Our therapist is great, but I'm learning a lot about myself and about the kind of the amount of anxiety that I cover, I carry around with me and, uh, maybe even HDH, ADHD, which I didn't know I had, but maybe I do, I don't know. And, and it's easy to, you know, when life is good, you don't think about all this stuff, but when it's rough, um, it all kind of comes into play. And so, um, it's been very helpful, very helpful, especially for our relationship, everything we were never, you know, on the verge of 
divorce or anything like that, but it is very helpful to kind of get back on the same page. Yeah. And I now you're divorced, Deanne. I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but do you have any thoughts or feelings? Did you guys go to marriage counseling? Did you find it helpful? We did. Did not find it helpful because mm-hmm. one party didn't seem willing to yeah. to put one party was apparently just using it as a way to try and not make things too bad yeah. once once the it was all done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing with marriage count. If you wait until, and I'm I'll not let, saying you did. I'll let y'all guess as to which one that would be. <laughs> I think we, I think we could piece that together. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying you did this yet, but if you wait to start going to counseling and you wait until you're like on the verge of divorce, then yeah, it might be too late. But hopefully if two people are savvy enough to know and in tune enough to know, you know, we should probably go, let's fix this before it gets out of hand. Um, uh-huh. it can be very helpful and we found it very helpful. So, uh, and you don't have to go forever if you, if you don't want to, we usually go three or four times. Oh, I remember now what to do. And then you go back to f- being fine again for a couple of years. So anyway, so I've had a lot of like internal, I don't know, um, kind of stuff learning a lot about myself. And, uh, the reason I mention all of this is because yes, the world has been quarantined for about the last three weeks or so. I feel like I've been quarantined for four months now. So I'm uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a little loopy, you know, because prior to all of this, I was trying very hard not to spend money on eating out or going to the movies or going to concerts. I'm not, I didn't want to spend, I, you know, I needed to, my job needed to be looking for another job. If I, if I sleep in every day and then I go lay on the couch and binge a show or read a book or whatever, I'm sending the wrong message to Farah about how seriously I'm taking this, you know? And so I've been at this now for like four months and a lot of jobs were right about to happen. And then all the quarantining happened. And now of course they're all pressing pause. Thankfully I got a couple things still going on. Hopefully by the next time we do this, um, we're back to normal. I'm back to normal. But anyway, it uh, has been a weird four months. Yeah. On the flip side though, with everybody being quarantined, that means people are available. <laughs> that is so true. So, yes, I uh, i mean, everybody is free right now, thankfully. So I've had, I have a lot of great interviews coming up. A couple that I will tell you about after we're done here, Yan, because I don't want to tell anyone who they are just yet. Um, I've already, I've got 12 or 13 interviews already in the can right now. And I've got another 10 to 12 to 13 scheduled in the next week or two. So, and that was another thing I got to say, Walt, prior to the quarantining, that was, it would have been so easy to just line up tons of, and just focus on podcast interviews, but that would have sent the wrong message too. So I was trying to be very judicious about, you know, every day spending a couple hours at least looking for work, finding a job, networking or whatever, and then maybe working in some time for the, for the podcast. But now with, quarantining being what it is, everyone's available. And thankfully, um, thankfully, you know, Ferris sees the effort and she's not mad. I mean, she's concerned like we all are. She did, she's not working either. So we're concerned in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, thankfully, uh, I'm not, you know, the loser that I was four months ago. You should get a job in Europe. Oh, tell me about (laughs) it, man. I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. I, my hope or my goal 
in a lot of these jobs is that I'm here, I'm, I work for a year or two, prove my value, and then they can transfer me to London and I can open the London office or whatever it is, you know, that's a goal that I've had for years. It just has never worked out. So I wish. Um, now, let me tell you an even another sad story here. So um, about three or four weeks ago, uh, my one of my best friends, Jason, died of brain cancer. So let me tell you the story here about Jason. Uh, in the early 2000s, I moved to the Bay Area uh, kind of on a whim. Thankfully, when one of the great things about being a Mormon is that there's local congregations called wards, and they often serve as like a surrogate family for you. So everywhere you go in the world, there's a ward nearby, and you start going to church, and you're immediately among friends and family. And when you're single, they have specific singles wards. And I was in, he and I were in this singles ward, and it turned out we had both dated the same girl, and we became friends. He's a year younger than me, but he was about an inch shorter than I am. And we had a lot of the same likes, a lot of the same interests. And uh, we became fast friends. Now, he also was a very difficult, very difficult person to be around. He had been abandoned as a kid by his mom. He has, he just does not open up and is not vulnerable really to anyone, nor does he really need friends. So our friendship was kind of a weird one. You know, we would... Let's. We went to Belize for a week on a vacation together. We went to uh, the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002. We one time we went on this great road trip. We started in upstate New York because there's a lot of Mormon history sites up there. Then we went to Cooperstown. Then we went to drove down to Pittsburgh for the baseball All Star Game was there that year. Uh, we've gone. He lived in the Bay Area, so we've gone back and forth to each other's places a few times. We've we. Uh, but we weren't the kind of friends that needed to talk every day. It was more like every three to six months, kind of checking in with each other. And it was getting harder the last, as our friendship would go on, because as everyone knows, I'm like really open and emotional and expressive and I'm and vulnerable. I have no problem with any of that. And he just put up the walls. And so we'd be good for a couple of days and then it would start we'd start annoying each other because I'd want to like open this up. Let's take it to another level. We're best friends. Let's really get in deep here. And that would make him so uncomfortable. And it's interesting for years, he had always wanted to be a, an artist, you know, he would have paintings and drawings and he would always show them to me and I never got it. And so I would get really bored with him. And that's all he, he doesn't, when you have a friend that's a narcissist, they're not asking you about your life or caring about what you're doing. And in fact, anything you're doing is not as good as what they're doing anyway. So it was a lot of art talk that just, I did not get, you know? And then one day he got discovered and he became a professional artist and his, he had a couple showings in galleries in New York that I went to his pieces sold for sell still to this day for thousands of dollars. I mean, he did it. He wanted to get discovered and he did. And on the one hand, it's like not, you know, it's hard to root for people that are <laughs> arrogant and narcissistic about this stuff. But on the other hand, he's my buddy and I'm really happy for him because he got what he wanted in life. So about five years ago, he and I, we, sometimes we would go to Arizona for spring training baseball. And we were in Arizona about five years ago. And, um, We'd gone to some games. We were back in our hotel, just chit-chatting. And he had heard me say for years that I um, wanted to do something. You know, I, I, he had finally made it 
and I had created ur creative urges too, but what are they? I want to write for Rolling Stone magazine. I Maybe I'll start a blog or something. Maybe I'll do a podcast. I don't know. And this one night we're in the hotel room and he's just really balling me out because every time we're together, I talk about the thing I want to do and I never actually do it. And he broke, we broke down that night. Like, okay, if you were to start a podcast, how would you do it? And I said, well, I'm in Denver. I don't know anyone. I have no connections. No bands are coming through Denver. I don't know how to do any of the technical stuff. In fact, it gives me anxiety. I couldn't do that. I'd need a partner. He's like, easy. Just get on Craigslist and find somebody. Anyway, it all turned out that it ended up at first being our my friend Aaron from high school. And then Yan came in shortly after that. And we've been a pair ever since. So it was Jason who sort of inspired me through like not taking any more of my crap to start this thing. And now here we are. So let me, two years ago, I'm at work. His wife texts me and uh, tells me that he just got diagnosed with brain cancer. He had a bad headache that wouldn't go away. They went to the hospital, found two tumors on his brain. Of course, we're all petrified now. And I, I remember being at work and I go into a conference room and I call him and me being me, I want to get below the skin on this. I want to get deep into this. You know, you're my best friend, Jason. I don't know anyone else in my life who I can have this kind of conversation with. Tell me what suddenly matters more than it did before and what doesn't matter. Like, do you still want to go to the movies? Do you care about who wins the World Series? Do you still believe in God? Do you believe in God even more? Do you, what's more What's more important now and what's less important? And this line of questioning really made him mad. He hated it. And he was, it, it, his response was always these platitudes of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking beat this man. I mean, I'm cancer's not taking me down. Why are you asking me these questions? You know, leave me alone. In fact, a little bit about friendship. I went to his wedding, which was kind of a shock anyway, to be honest. And there was only one other friend of his there. And it was someone I'd never even met or heard of. So this was a guy who was a real loner. He didn't need a lot of friends in his life, but thankfully I was one of them. He couldn't be introspective. And it became really difficult to know how to talk to him after this. He's your friend. You want to check in every day. How are you? Are you doing okay? Are you feeling better? But that would just annoy him. And we weren't those the kind of friends that checked in that often anyway. Uh -huh. So eventually i would kind of check in once in a while it never really changed he wasn't getting you know introspective it was a lot of just chemo stories all of which were fine eventually one night a little over a year ago um we kind of got in a big fight on the phone because he was really getting he was just letting it all hang out how upset he was at me for asking all those questions and the way that he was doing it he was like you know you're out, you're talking to me like I'm one of your dumb podcast guests. Oh, Mr. Mr. Podcast, Mr. Rolling Stone wants to treat me like I'm one of his subjects. He wants to interview me like he, like I'm on his dumb little podcast. And I'm like, why do you have to talk about my podcast that way? You know, I, you're my friend. I don't, I'm not close to anyone in this situation. I thought I could ask you the most personal questions because that's what friends do. It has nothing to do with a podcast or Rolling Stone magazine or anything like that. And, uh, so we got in this big fight and I always think if we were a couple, we would have like broken up that night, you know? So, <laughs> so anyway, after that, we didn't talk again, but come to find out his wife got cancer 
his wife Heather, who's a sweetheart, and they have a they have a four year old son named Lucian. Heather got pancreatic cancer, and uh, Farah would bug me from time to time. You've got to check back in with Jason, and I would say, well, he doesn't want to hear from me, and I don't. I mean, he knows how to call me if he wants me to, and no, you've got to do it. And occasionally, I would text him, like you know, I wish we were back at spring training or whatever. How you doing? And he'd reply and say, yeah, you know, good to hear from you. Let's talk soon. And then we wouldn't. So a few weeks ago, Farah finally was saying, just tell him you're going to go out there to the Bay Area and you're going to stay as long as he wants you to stay. And you're going to help them do whatever it is they need to do um, because they're both dying of cancer now. And so I offered to do that. And he texted me back and said, can I call you? And we talked for a few minutes and I got really emotional because I was like, look, I, I don't want it to end this way. I want to be back in your life, but I only want to be back in your life. If having me as a friend enhances the quality of your life, if having me as your life again, being who I am stresses you out or makes you unhappy, then I, then I would rather bow out so that your quality of life is better. And um, he said, no, that, absolutely not. I don't want it to end this way. I want, to, I want us to be friends again. And I said, well, look, why don't I want to come out there and see you. And I will help you do whatever it is you need to do. I'll run errands for you. I'll fix up your house. I'll babysit your kid. Whatever you need me to do. And at this point, Heather was getting really bad. Jason was just going to live with his brain cancer as long as it took. But Heather was on her last legs. And he said, okay, let me talk to Heather. That was the other thing too. Do I want to come out and be a burden to Heather? I don't want to bother her. You know, if that stresses her out having me around, then no, I won't do it. He said, I'll talk to Heather and I'll text you back tonight. And I didn't hear from him for about a week. And I texted him back and said, hey, are we still doing this? And his dad replied and said, uh, John, I'm at Jason's bedside. I can't talk right now. Turned out a couple of days after he and I got off the phone, he had a seizure and um, became basically a vegetable. And he lasted for a couple of weeks. Now imagine this. In their house, Heather is in their bedroom dying of pancreatic cancer. He is in a hospital bed in the front room of the house dying of brain cancer. It's the yeah. saddest story you've ever heard in your life. And um, I'm friends with his sister, and so his sister, Suzanne, is kind of updating me periodically of how it's going. He finally died. Two weeks later, Heather died on the exact same day, exactly two days, two weeks later. And so they're gone, both of them. And um, they have a four-year-old son who's going to go live in Utah with Heather's brother and be raised by him. Anyway, I know that's a long story, but I, that's, what his, that's what's going on these last four months. And I say all that because... I am so gr grateful that we had a brief bury the hatchet conversation days before he never spoke again and um, that I know of anyway. And I'm so grateful that it happened because it almost didn't. And it happened thanks to Farah pushing me to get over myself and try and mend some bridges. And so I'm really glad. And now he's gone. So anyway, that's, uh, I you know, not to, I know we talk about music on here, but I thought it would 
it made sense to get a little personal because that's what the last four months of my life has been like, you know? Anyway, you doing anything else these days, Yan, to stay uh, busy or entertained? Enjoying myself with this and then and whatever, you know, watching the report and realizing, oops. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. This is a crazy time. Watching, watching the idiots going outside oh. when they shouldn't. So true. Um, when I should say for anyone who wonders, when I go for my walks, I never touch or see anybody. So I try to. I'm trying to be very careful about this. I only walk in my neighborhood, and I don't touch anything or anyone. Um, I will say a couple. A couple shows. Um, uh, of course, Tiger King. I don't know if you know what that is, uh, Yan, but on Netflix, it's all the rage. This weird series called Tiger King about the most gross human wasteful displays of humanity ever uh it's the most fascinating it's just fascinating it's garbage but it's fascinating this series on netflix and then fair and i watched escape at danamora on showtime about these two guys that break out of prison and that was really really good very satisfying now we're watching ozark i think we're on episode three of season three of ozark so we're trying to you know, fill the time with TV shows and books and everything else. Okay. Um, and it, for me, the for me the biggest thing is no sports. Oh <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh. What sports do you follow? What are you passionate about? Well, I, I was going to the local team. The last game was March the seventh or that weekend. So. All the all the football or soccer to you has been called off. I've watched a few. I got to the point where I was watching rugby league, uh, and to me that's as, as that's as bad as tennis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I uh, I'm going through major Utah Jazz withdrawal. I miss them so much, and now it's baseball would have started recently, and so I'm missing the Colorado Rockies, my baseball team, and uh, all of it. It's just, um, <laughs> it's, it sucks, man. There's it, there's not much to talk about other than this because there's no cultural events happening other than maybe political things, which are no fun yeah. to talk about, that uh, are happening for it to unify everybody right now, you know? First of all, I I got to say, I think we've been on a bit of a winning streak here, Yan. I, um, oh, no doubt. Yes. I kind of, I hoped, I tried to plan it this way on purpose because we, I had a few interviews that I thought were fine that I didn't think were that super special. And so I wanted to use them up at the end of last year so that starting in the beginning of January, we kind of came out with a bang. And um, I stand by just about every episode we've had. I think there's been something of value to be found in just about everything we've put out so far this year. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we started now at the end on our last recap. We already talked about the Quincy Jones deep dive, which is still one of my favorite things we've ever done. So I want to kick it off. Let's start with Charlie Midnight. So Charlie Midnight, he uh, he's the perfect guest for us because he's done so many things that are great. But not everyone seems to know that, you know, like his work with Dan Hartman and Joe Cocker and Doobie Brothers. I'm a huge Dan Hartman fan, so I really love being able to talk to him about all those stories. But there was so much more, like working with James Brown and 
Um, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, he co-wrote a song on the Bodyguard soundtrack and what that meant for him financially. And um, I do wish that Charlie had more of like a, you know, more hits that were standards that, you know, everyone knows up and down. I guess Living in America from James Brown is probably that one. But um, I do, I think he's great. That's one of my favorite ones. I don't know that everyone loved it as much as I did, but I thought it was great. Well, he had so much stuff that he'd worked on that it was, you know, even though he didn't have standards, it provided him enough of a, uh, something to keep him going. It was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like his stuff a lot, and I feel like he's a little unsung. One of those names that you—it's hard to miss the name Charlie Midnight. You, so you've seen it, but you may not think about it often enough. And so I was really proud that we got to kind of highlight him. Plus. It was a. Uh, it meant a lot to me to be able to tell him that, I, even though Rolling Stone magazine gave Joe Cocker a bad review, that I wrote my first letter to Rolling Stone to tell them that they were wrong, and uh, they never printed it. But I was honored to be able to at least tell Charlie that story. That was pretty cool. Um, okay, Michelle shocked. Oh boy, this was a. Yeah, that's uh, exactly the way I think. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We've had a few of these. Terrence Trent Darby, Alana Miles. I get the feeling like she's ruining her own career. You know? She doesn't want any of her music played. She doesn't want it on any streaming services. She won't perform unless it's like meets her requirements. And I just think, how are people supposed to get to know who you are? You know, how are people supposed to find Michelle shocked? Why are you torpedoing your own career like this? We've had people, you know, like I mentioned with Terrence too, I, I go into these thinking, these are complicated artists that have very confusing stories. And there's a lot of gossip and rumor out there about how that, what they are really like. And I think I'm going to be the guy that comes in and I'm going to tell the definitive story. I'm going to give Michelle or Terrence or whatever a platform to be their true selves, to set the record straight. We're going to do it. And both times they ended up being, you come away like, okay, I understand now. I understand why these people's careers are where they are because they're doing it to themselves, you know? To to an extent, I can understand where she's coming from with the streaming stuff. I mean, they make, the artists make nothing from that. True, true. I'll give you an example. I think I've mentioned it before. Uh, Frampton. Mm. I think he he posted somewhere that there was a particular song that he had. It had 54 million streams and he ended up with like 1,400 bucks. Ugh. I mean, it's robbery. It's highway yeah. robbery. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. I just, um, I don't know. I mean, she just didn't seem interested in kind of fixing her situation at all. And I got to say, it was tough for me to know what to do because I was trying to be very respectful of her, even though she was kind of making fun of me a couple of times. I'd ask her a question and her response would be so tangential and it would go on for 20 minutes and I didn't understand what she was saying and I would have a hard time following her logic and I'd get lost for a second and then she'd call me out on it and then I'd worry, oh my gosh, she realized that I wasn't paying full attention because you lost me like 10 minutes ago. You know, I kind of came away after that thinking, I wish I had probably just been myself, you know, when she kind of is challenging me and she's saying, Oh, do you think Roseanne and Kathy Griffin, do you think the things they do, are they not 
satire. And I thought, well, yeah, no, not really, because what they said and did that was controversial was a reflection of their true feelings. And so if you're telling me, Michelle, that what you did up there on stage, bad-mouthing gay people and gay marriage and saying God hates fags and all this stuff, if you're going to say that and call it satire, what you might be, and compare yourself to Roseanne and Kathy, what you're saying then is that I really feel those things. I just made a joke out of them. And that's even worse, you know? So anyway, I, uh, I kind of wish I'd come away just pushing back on her and um, saying what I truly feel, but I didn't feel like I should do that. We've corresponded a little bit since then. She uh, is, as you heard in there, I think, trying to get her bio on allmusic.com changed because she doesn't like it. She doesn't think it's true. And I talked to Chris Woodstra, who's a writer for them. She's forwarding me things to forward to him and he says, okay, I'll send it to all music. And then she's following up. Hey, I agree to come on your show if you would help me with all music. And I'm like, look, I sent your stuff to Chris. He sent it to all music. I don't know what else to do, but I'm kind of in the middleman of this thing. Anyway, it's a, it's bizarre. I had no idea, but oh yeah, it's weird. That's all I can say. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. That's right. That's right. Anyway, but having said all that, I do think there's value. I mean, you know, the, her and Terrence and Alana, Alana's was kind of an entertaining train wreck. Look, these things may be hard to listen to because these people are so out there, but they, I mean, they're showing you their true selves. They're showing you who they are. And I think that's fascinating. You know what I mean? That's still uh, worth it to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the Alana one was great. I, I, I liked that one because she really, she was really uh, fairly uh, straight with you, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I like that one a lot. Um, Terrence and Michelle were difficult, but Alana was great. Um, okay, real quick, the Marshall Crenshaw promo episode. I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do these promo modes. Um, I think it's important for us to help former guests promote their new wares. I'm happy to do that. I'm proud to do it. I'm just trying to find figure out the best uh, dynamic, the best way to do that. I personally don't enjoy just a strictly promotional conversation but you know i i say that when i listen to people like eddie trunk or so many others that's what they're doing on there i don't know why i feel like i need to be any different but it's just not a conversation that that's interesting to me and I, and so um i'm still but i love marshall he's one of my favorites so of course i want to be helpful anyway it didn't mean a lot to me that he remembered oh you're the guy in denver I don't remember if that made the final cut, but he said that in our, in the interview, and that was that meant a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, to me, part of what we do anyway is promotional. We're trying to get people to think and look at, at these Irish music. They might not have thought of them for a long time or at all, and we're trying to encourage them to give it a listen. So, so doing something like that, the promo mode. To me, it's a natural extension of what we're doing. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I just, uh, I need to find a way to make them even more compelling if I can. Um, okay. Oh. Jerry Murata, the drummer. Oh, this is one of my great. all-time favorite ones we've ever had. Don't you agree? Oh, it was so good. It was. 
It was our longest. I think it's the only episode we've had that has gone over three hours. But it was worth it. There was no, there was no fat on that bone. Every story was gold. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Spinal Tap. I agree with you on the Spinal Tap. It was so, it was awesome. Imagine you're sitting there. You just you're like, hey, Paul McCartney. Why don't we all? You should see this movie called Spinal Tap. And you're laying on the floor, and Michael or uh, Paul and Linda are on the couch right behind you, and there are scenes in this movie that are making fun of the two of them indirectly, and you're the one who recommended this movie to everybody. Imagine <laughs> how that must feel, you know? It's yep. uh, crazy, crazy to me, and um, so many great stories. Uh, there was, you know, the part about. Um, learning a lot about Peter Gabriel and what he's like as a songwriter it doesn't surprise me when you've got like five to ten years between uh, releases no question there's some analysis paralysis going on there he's just overthinking things probably waiting to the last very last minute to to write lyrics he likes to tinker but he doesn't like to tinker too much because he probably it sounds like he's kind of like me gets some anxiety when it comes to learning technology I thought all that was so insightful of what Peter Gabriel must really be like. And then the dynamic between Daryl Hall and John Oates, there was that part I think where Daryl was really laying into John, giving him a hard time. And Jerry says to John, how, how do you let him talk to you that way? And he was like, Jerry, if I got upset every time he acted that way, I would be have been gone long ago. And uh, I just thought that's a, that's another really interesting piece of insight into the dynamic of Daryl and John, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, one other thing, and we heard it, I heard from a few of you who were like, why so much coughing and sniffling and grunting? Why did you why didn't you cut all that out? And I, I said, and I'll tell everybody, we I told Yan to leave a lot of that in on purpose because I thought it kind of added to Jerry, Jerry's sort of sheepdog nature, you know, he's just a really regular guy and the grunting and the sniffling and the, the snot and the coughing, it all sort of added to this charm of his, I thought. And so anyway, that's why I asked to leave it in. I, he, I loved every story he told. He was so great. And when he drops like, oh, I was dating Julie Haggerty or, oh, I was kind of dating uh, Penny Marshall at that time. Just fun stuff like that. I love it. You know? Yeah, and I think when when we did when he does the deep dive, I, pro I probably will cut all that kind of stuff out. Yeah, good point. Good point. That's a really good point that you say that actually, because now we know what Jerry's like, and so we don't need to do it again. But yeah, he and I have been emailing lately about doing a deep dive. Um, he said he would do it. We're just debating what album to do. I'm leaning toward a Hall and Oates album, but I want to hear what he thinks about. Whatever album he thinks, you know, has the best stories, I'm open to it. But you're right. We should probably trim a lot of that out for that one. Um, okay. Chris Hayes from uh, Huey Lewis in the News. This was a huge get. And I got to give a huge thank you to our buddies at Suburban Underground, Steve and, and uh, Drew. Because they had him on their show a few years ago. And I was so jealous because I had been trying to find Chris, too. And uh, they very kindly gave me Chris's email address, made it, and I, Chris was responsive, and we made it happen. It was so lucky. So thanks again, Stephen Drew, for helping make that happen. Oh, that was that was 
really, really good. I really, really enjoyed that one. Me too. Um, I'm like you. Uh, Power of Love is not my favourite. News of Helios song. Power of Love is not your favourite? It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's so many that are better, I think. I mean, I don't mind that one. It's fine, but it uh, it's, it's not up there It's for good, me. but it's not yeah. my favourite. Yeah. I'd say my favourite is probably... Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, that's a good one too. So good. Yes. Yeah, we, uh, it was, I think about that one kind of similarly to the Keith Scott uh, episode that we had that Paul Underwood did with Brian Adams because it's difficult to get the Brian or the Huey on the show. But if you can get their right hand man, someone who's contributed almost just as much to all the music and hear their version of these stories, that's really interesting. And, um, I think it's interesting, too, that within days of Chris and I talking, Huey was back in the news, pun intended, uh, as, you know, putting out a new album and he still can't tour or sing anymore. So the new album is stuff they were working on before. But um, I would have liked to have gotten Chris's thoughts on that. But we, you know, we missed it by days. And uh, anyway, I was glad to know that Chris kind of doesn't care for the same old timey R&B stuff that Huey, that the news did that I don't like either, but I just, I love that conversation. And anyone who's interested, as most of you know, I'm on pods and sods a lot these days doing these six packs. We did a Huey Lewis in the news six pack in it with Lee McCormick of the Tramps Like Us podcast. And it actually kind of got a little heated in a loving way, but Lee loves those guys and did not like my, any little criticism that I made of that band and uh, it made for some fun listening. So if you want, go find that episode on the Pods and Saws Network. It's a lot of fun. Did you guys grow? Did you feel like you grew up with Huey Lewis in the news as much as I did? Or were they a British oh, phenomenon at all? Oh, I, I well, I got exposed to them because of the Back to the Future stuff. But yeah, I, I looked, searched out everything after that. So, yeah. Oh. And I had a chance to see them at the state fair one year, and I missed out. Oh, oh, bummer! Was that in Wichita? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, uh, my brother and I went and saw. I drove to Utah, and it was during the 30th anniversary of sports, which I think would have been in 2004, maybe 2003. I don't remember. Uh, I drove out to Utah. My brother and I went and saw Huey Lewis in the news. This big outdoor amphitheater. It was great. And it ended early enough that he and I then went and saw Adamant at a club oh. in town. That was like the ultimate night, seeing Huey Lewis in the news for the first time and then going and seeing Adamant for the first time. That was a blast. All right. Uh, next up, Barry, uh, oh, Barry Connors from Toronto doing the Neil Peart tribute um i've heard from a few of you that say you do like because i i'm not sure whether when we do a tribute like this if it makes sense to bring on another podcaster like we used to do with steve spears from uh stuck in the 80s because we were able to be a little more maybe critical i guess or a little more honest um about some things when you bring on a former guest who knows them you don't really get to do that but what you do get instead is some actual personal insight. You don't get people commenting on, well, I like this album or that album. You get someone like Barry, who's actually been in the room with Neil Peart 
and was influenced by him and all that kind of stuff. That, I think, what do you think, Yan? Do you, do you have a preference either way? Do you think one is more effective than the other? So I, pref- I prefer having somebody that, that you know, that knows them, has worked with them, mm. come on. Because we yeah. get, like you said, you get that personal insight and we we really get to know what it was like to to do that with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Barry's such a nice guy. I just thought it made sense to hear about the most famous Canadian drummer ever from another Canadian drummer. Um, one thing that didn't come out necessarily in the in our conversation is that Barry's actually not that big of a Rush fan. Um, he does respect Neil, but he's not, Rush was never really his thing. But anyway, I, uh, I'm glad we were able to pay tribute to Neil. And I love that, you know, Barry was able to come back. Bar- Toronto were one of the first interviews I ever did for the show. And um, he's a really sweet guy. And so it's always nice to reconnect with some of these guys and bring them back on. Are you a Rush fan? I'll listen to it. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to go see them in concert mm. but i'll listen to it okay yeah um i like them a lot some of their stuff can get a little over complicated to me especially in the early days but um when they're good they're very good so i've grown to i grow to like them more and more as time goes on and it just felt right to do a neil peart episode a tribute so um this was the week where we put out i think what was it like five episodes in one week something yeah. like that yeah I was about to go to Hawaii with the family on vacation. Speaking of being out of work, that trip was planned months before when I was still gainfully employed. And thankfully it happened pre-coronavirus, otherwise we'd be stuck out there. And uh, I wanted to kind of clear the decks while I was gone and get all this stuff out you know, while we could. And it just, the timing worked out that we had a ton of things to put out that week. So there was Chris, there was the Neil Peart tribute, there was Suburban Underground, there was the Yacht Rock with Noel on Reliving My Youth. I'll talk about that. And I think our recap came out that week as well. So it was a ton of information that week. Anyway, the Yacht Rock episode with Noel. Uh, oh, wait, first, Suburban Underground, back to Stephen Drew. It's always fun to go on there. Um, picking the topics, we went with kind of obscure R&B that time. I don't know that I've said on here before, I don't think our audience cares for R&B probably as much as I do. Um, a lot of them do, but not everybody. And I can say that because I can tell download numbers and stuff like that. But I love it. And it was really fun to talk classic R&B with those two. So I hope we do some more. Um, the Yacht Rock episode, though, from Reliving My Youth, that actually got a, t- a lot of downloads. And it surprised me because like Suburban Underground, that episode went out on Noel's feed as well. So anyone who subscribes to both like with suburban underground would have already heard it but it still did well and i guess it's because people love the topic of yacht rock so steven drew if you're listening maybe our next episode needs to be yacht rock favorites because we'll get a lot more downloads that way all right it's crazy to me um anyway do you have a you i probably you probably didn't listen to either of those because you didn't work on them but do you do you know what yacht rock is yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you like that kind of stuff? That sort of soft rock of the seventies. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'll listen to just about anything. So. Yeah, it's true. That's one of the reasons I love doing this with you. Is I know that I get nerdier about music than you do, but I love that we both like just about everything, and so that's one of the 
great things about doing this, having you as a partner on here is that I know that you think like I do and you can, you appreciate the good in just about everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's very little, there's very little I won't listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, okay. The next official follow-up episode after Chris Hayes was Bonnie Hayes, his sister. I don't know how many of you out there even knew who Bonnie was. I know her primarily, well, I got to know her at first, as I said, because she had a couple songs on the Valley Girl, not the original soundtrack, but the sequel soundtrack that came out much later. She, her initial, her early band, the Wild Combo, were just sort of a fixture in that um, early new wave, American new wave scene that like the Go-Go's were coming out of as well. She's a really excellent lady. She, by the way, is still gorgeous. I, uh, we did our interview on Skype and I could see her, but she couldn't see me good-looking lady she's aged very nicely and she was just so smart and the thought that she went from this new wave upstart i would say icon but she wasn't because it didn't quite happen even though there were there weren't as many women in new wave as there should have been to going on to have bonnie rate record some of your songs at a time when when bonnie rate is making this massive comeback i mean that is a unique story that not everyone has yeah. And so I'm really happy for Bonnie. She's great. Now she teaches music. She's a wonderful lady. Was she new to yeah. you? I imagine she yes. might have been new to you, but Bonnie Raitt is obviously not new to you. Yeah, but Bonnie Hayes definitely was new to me, but she was great. And she was, yeah. she again, she told it's great as well. Yeah. I loved her for that. And she alluded to, you know, some Me Too type stuff that she had to deal with back then. She didn't want to t- mm-hmm. say what it was and, um, some good insight on on Miles Copeland, who's a really interesting figure. I've been trying to get Miles on here, by the way. So anyway, yeah, I was really proud that we got to have Bonnie, and I've I had been trying to get her for years. I've emailed her website several times and never heard back. But thankfully, Chris put in a good word for me, and we were able to make it happen. And then she shared it a couple of weeks later, and the episode blew up after that. It's always nice when. When the guests share their episodes, and believe me, not all of them do, but she did, thankfully, and it really took off after that. So that's good. Now, Holly Knight was a huge, huge get for us. I had tried to get Holly a couple of years ago, and I emailed, I always assumed that she was kind of too big time for us, maybe. And I emailed her website years ago, and I never heard back. And so I, I think I may have done it more than once. And so I just sort of left it alone. And then our buddy, Ben Montgomery, from the Records Revisited podcast recently kind of prodded me or, you know, motivated me or whatever, said, you should try her again. And I thought, what the heck, I will. And I noticed when I did that her website was different. And so I clicked the contact button and I sent a message over. She had recently been on Eddie Trunk, his podcast, which Eddie's big time. So I'm always thinking, well, she's not going to do mine if she's going to do Eddie Trunk. At least that was Aldo Nova's excuse back in the day. But her person, Debbie, I believe, wrote me back almost immediately and said, yeah, sure, let's do this. Let's set it up. And so we did. And it was great. And she was so full of these fantastic stories. And I was trying to jump around between having her talk about the big hits that she always talks about, but also some of the littler stuff that I really liked. And the conversation went great. And she uh, understandably was not mentally prepared to talk for hours and hours. So after about an hour and a half, she was like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go but we can do a part two. So we do it. It goes well. Paul produces the hell out of it. It sounds fantastic. 
And uh, when it comes out, it causes kind of a stir. A lot of people really love that one. So I hear from Pat Francis, our buddy at Rock Solid, and he says, you know, do you, she's in LA. Do you mind if I reach out to her and have her see if she'll come on my show? And of course I don't, because this is a our whole podcasting brotherhood here. There's a lot of shares. Us and Noel from Reliving My Youth and Steve Cooper from Cooper Talk and Pat to some degree. A lot of us have a lot of the same people on because they're fun to talk to and we help each other out. So I said, no, absolutely. Go ahead. And then I have to admit, I kind of had some regrets about doing that because, and not nothing against, I'm not, I don't, nothing against Pat or anything. Of course I want him to have her on, but I realized that as soon as she's on his show, she, it makes no sense for us to really do a part two. And he, so he reaches out to Holly, her person, Debbie replies immediately. And Holly's over there in a couple of days and they have a fantastic conversation and they touch on a lot of the stuff that I would have touched on in a part two. So yes, Holly is willing to come on and do a part two. I'm afraid it may end up being a lot of the stuff we've that she and Pat already talked about, which kind of bums me out. But um, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm sure I'll still do it. I might give it some time just to let the kind of dust settle on her rock solid uh, um, appearance, and so that we don't, sure. you know, everyone's not hearing these same stories back to back like that. You understand what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's probably enough stuff that you didn't cover or that mm -hmm. Pat didn't cover that you could make a part two out of. Yeah, that's um that's my hope. I'm I am gonna let you know a couple of months go by so that it's fades in people's memory and then bring her back on and we do a part two and we'll cover some of the other stuff. We never even got around to talking about heart or cheap trick the last time we talked and those are big ones. So I want to make sure we do that. And uh, a huge thanks to Holly and Pat. Uh, Pat had her sign some of his records and she signed one for me and they, and Pat mailed it to me. So I have a record, I have an album of uh, scandal with Patty Smythe, the warrior, which uh, I'm going to get framed and put on the wall as soon as, you know, coronavirus is over. So anyway, thanks yeah, you guys cool. for doing. That. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, okay. Let's talk about Julian Mendelssohn for a minute because He's seriously like one of the nicest people we've ever had. A really lovely bloke, as he would say, about pretty much everyone that I mentioned to him. Um, I will admit, there I don't know that there's a lot of juice there or a lot of like super deep, interesting stories, which is often the case, if you've noticed, with sometimes uh, not producers as much, but a lot of the engineers and mixers, because they're, I mean, they are working directly with the person, but they're not, it's, they're not always input making their input putting in their input about how a song should go so they're they're kind of more doing what they're told i guess maybe that's a rough way of saying it but anyway they're uh, he was such a nice you know kind of good to be around kind of guy that uh he was so fun and there was so much great music in that episode you like all that stuff too don't you oh yeah yeah that was that one was great so that was that was particularly interesting because my, my sister's a big Tasman Atra fan. Ah, uh, right. And I said to her, we, we've got the guy that did Tasman Atra's album. She was like, <laughs> you got to tell him from me, I love that. <laughs> I was surprised by how often he mentioned Tasman Archer. I yeah. mean, I like Tasman too, but there's other bigger things on his resume. But did you notice how many times he would go back to talking about Tasman and how proud he was of working on that album? Did you uh, notice that? Yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic album. It is. It is. 
Uh, interesting bit of trivia, and you can talk to this more than I can even. There was a point in, in our conversation where he was talking about working with his friend, a producer, and he didn't feel that he credited his friend correctly or enough when he was talking about whatever album it was that we were talking about. I think it was Tasman, maybe. And um, so he wanted us to go back and fix it. And I said, well, you know, tell me, we went back and forth for weeks on this. What what do you want fixed? Do you want it cut out? He wanted to re-record that part. And I was like, well, that's a lot of work. Let's just cut, let Yan cut out the line that you're not happy with. And we did, and he still wasn't happy about it. Not in a bad way. He was super polite and nice about this. And so we re-recorded it, insert that part into it. He wasn't, he didn't love that either. So he took the file and redid it himself, didn't he? Yeah. So what we what we did was uh, I, I back and forth with him on Skype and arranged to to get him the file and they could put in what he needed into that particular spot and then he would send it back to us, which he did. And so when he sent back the the final version that he was going to put on his website. Mm. When I built that one in my in my software in the uh, in the show information, I I credited him specifically so that when mm. it went and built into iTunes, he nice. would get he would get credit for that on i on iTunes. But, you know, so he'd be listed yeah. as a as a composer oh, for that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. He um, and he's put that one up on his website. And so that was, which is a huge boon. I mean, whenever somebody does that, it feels like a real kind of vote of gratitude or vote of confidence. You know, I, I love when they do that. So, and he, uh, through him, I almost feel like it's funny. I've been talking to and befriending all these people who've worked with Trevor Horn. And um, we have another, we have at least one more interview with another producer relating who's, uh, has collaborated with Julian. In fact, he came up on the conversation and has worked with Trevor and other people. We've already had Bruce Woolley and there's a few others, but um, I almost feel like I don't even, I'm almost tired of talking about Trevor at this point. I've done it so much lately and he's my favorite producer ever, but I'm kind of, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm ready for something different. But anyway, Julian was the nicest bloke you could ask for. And uh, through him, we're going to have a lot of other people like him on the show, which I'm really excited about. Um, okay, then we had Arthur Barrow. Arthur was, I was really surprised by how fascinating his story was. And I have to give a huge thanks to our listener, Ken Evans, from down in Australia, who uh, connected me up with Arthur. And, you know, as I mentioned in there, I'm not a Zappa fan at all. And so it was, I was, at first I was like, well, he's probably going to want to talk about Zappa and I don't, and I don't want to be rude, but thankfully he uh, totally understood. And he actually was happy about it because he feels like he talks about Zappa all the time. So it was nice for him to talk about something other than Frank Zappa for a minute. So we, it was really fascinating getting all these Giorgio Moroder stories, kind of learning what Giorgio was like. I mean, he was like a brand name at the time, you know? So yeah. He doesn't have to be in the lab working closely all the time. He can have Arthur and Richie Zito and Ken Keith Forsey and all these other people doing it, doing the grunt work, and he'll swoop in after he's been, you know, out with some lovely ladies or in a club or skiing in the Alps or whatever fancy rich people thing they do. 
swoop in. Yeah, this sounds great. Tweak that. Okay, great. I've got to go off and get on a jet and fly off to wherever, you know? And that's the kind of vibe I get from G uh, Giorgio Moroder back then. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that was really great. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to some Zappa stuff, but it's usually the silly stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, to hear what he did outside of Zappa was great. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and I worry about him. He mentioned um, having his having to close down his old studio that worked for not only him, but he did work for other people in there. And it seemed like that was a revenue stream for him. It's tough for these people, you know? They're older. They're in their 60s, 70s. And uh, the, the music business is so fraught with instability anyway that, you know, how do you make a living? And this studio was his way. And then the landlord or whatever decided not to... He wanted to change, and so now he's got to start all over again, and it's going to be tough. I feel bad for people like him. Okay, let's talk about Peter Wolf for a minute. This was another huge get. I had been trying to find Peter for a long time. Say what you want about songs like We Built This City and Everybody Have Fun Tonight, but people who wrote those songs or worked on them are laughing to the, all the way to the bank. So yep. you may not like those songs, but they made people very rich and very happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and they're, they're great songs. They're still. I, I mean, I mm -hmm. think they're good songs. I do too. I don't have a problem with. I was sick of them for years, but now I feel like I've come out the other end, where I'm back to just thinking those are fun songs again. Um, yeah. And you, you get a feel. I did anyway. In when listening to him, why he was so good at what he did, because he has, he approaches music. Yes, he's a creative person, and yes, he, you know, is trying to always strive for the best, but he approaches it uh, from a business perspective, you know? Like, what's going to make this song the most successful that it can be? This is what people, you know, when you listen to that original version of Everybody Have Fun Tonight, and it's so kind of somber and almost sarcastic and sad and mopey, and he's like, no, let's. it's about everybody have fun. It says your band name in the song. We got to turn this into a dance song. We got to make this a big hit. He sees things in a, in a from a very business savvy perspective that I don't think artists who are always thinking about themselves, I don't mean that selfishly, but they're always thinking about their creative muse and whatever. He doesn't think like that. He thinks about how to make money, you know, how to make something successful. That's why he was successful. You know, uh -huh. and, and if you look at let's take those two songs specifically, <laughs> we built the city. It's still played a ton today. Yeah, it is. It is. I know. Uh, you know, we had Martin uh, Page on here very early on, one of the writers of that song. And um, Martin, by the way, I'm going to try and bring him back on. He's got a really interesting podcast of his own now that he does once a month, where he plays some of his. B-sides and demos and rarities, and then he tells stories about him. He's so funny and and uh, a, a pleasure to listen to. Anyway, he wrote that song and These Dreams and a few other hits, King of Wishful Thinking. And you know he lives nicely on those today, down in L.A. in a nice big house, doing what he wants to do. What a life. I will say, I thought it was interesting when I was talking with Peter that um, we talked about that Lou Graham album and... He didn't seem to know what I was talking about or didn't want to talk about the drum sound of this Lou Graham album. But any review you read 
of that Lou Graham album talks about how incessant the snare drum noise is throughout the, and I really like that album and I'm okay with it, but you can't, you can't not hear this drum sound. And he didn't seem to know what I meant. Uh, and and that, that one, I, I really thought the story about these dreams was quite funny. Yeah. I, <laughs> and Ron Nevison not liking it. And we've had Ron on the show. So I would, I wonder what you get the, both these guys have big egos. It would be so interesting to be on a call with the two of them and hear them tell the story and have to like correct each other. You know what I mean? And that's not what happened. Yeah. I didn't say that, you know, Oh yes, you did. You said you didn't <laughs> think it was a hit. Well, I didn't think it was a hit then, but I knew it would be late. You know what I mean? You just imagine these two like big egos arguing with each other. That would be a fascinating <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Boy, I wonder if we could make that happen. I don't know. I'll see if I can find like a deep dive that those two can come on at once. That would be a fascinating story. Man, you might have a lot of, that would be a fun one to produce, Yan. It just yeah. might be people yelling at each other, you know? One last little bit about that. I didn't want to come right out and say it, but unfortunately that Big Country album he made is terrible. And it was so, I do, yes. And I mean, you and I, we, no one loves Big Country more than we do. And it, uh, I remember buying that album. I didn't tell him the story, but I bought that album when it came out, Peace in Our Time. And because I really liked King of Emotion and Peace in Our Time, the two songs that I'd heard on the radio. And it was awful. And I remember taking it to school and I worked in the AV TV news. We had like a TV news thing happening in high school. And I was a presenter and an anchor and a reporter for it. And I had like a mailbox. Everybody who worked there had their own mailbox that you would you know, put papers in or whatever. And I had a little mailbox and I brought the CD in and thought in, in the hope that I might use it as some background no music for a story that I was working on. So I had it in my mailbox and it got stolen and I've never bothered to replace it because it was so awful. I didn't care that it got stolen, you know, but anyway, sorry, Peter, I'm, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm down for anything big country puts out. True. True. That's true. I just, uh, yeah, I never, that, that album was a real disappointment for me. Um, okay. Lee John of imagination. I will say of all the, I try my best to, well, first of all, I just go sniffing around wherever I can to where I think an interesting story might be. And, um, sometimes they're in big groups that we all know. And sometimes they're in little groups that not everyone knows. And I hope that I can sniff out a good story in there. And I, my goal is always to make these episodes universal so that you don't have to know who Arthur Barrow is or care about Zappa or Giorgio Moroder to think that our episode has some value. That's what I'm always going for. Um, I know that's not the case. We, we see the download numbers. I know that not everything gets downloaded by the same amount of people. It's okay. But that's always my goal that I'm striving for. I will say that Lee, of all the episodes we put out this year, is probably the one that if you aren't a fan of his or of R&B or of specifically British R&B, you may not have liked that episode or wanted to listen to it as much as some of the others. I will grant you that. But I did think that that conversation was really interesting because it was basically, I just sat back and let Lee school me on every British band, British R&B group, every song, every little thing I just sat back and let him teach me. And it made for kind of an interesting, if you like that stuff, 
Um, hopefully you do. If you like that, I think it would be a fun conversation. If you don't, I would understand if you skipped over it. You know what I mean? Did you know them? Were you familiar with Imagination? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they were pretty big here. I believe it. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought that would be kind of an interesting... I'm always trying to get more R&B artists on here. Um, you... You, uh, I think we, I think it's okay for us to say, to, to say this now. You cut this up very, uh, very sensitively, but at one point in the conversation, I come right out and ask him if he's gay. And I know that sounds insensitive. I didn't, not because I was trying to out him, but because I wondered if I, you know, I'm not from the UK, so I didn't know if imagination was a gay group or that was part of the story you know that's part of what made him or imagination special or different or unique was the fact that not only were they r&b from the uk but they were also gay guys and that might make for an interesting kind of additional layer to the story he says understandably that he wants to keep it you know kind of a mystery and he says no we were not a gay band and you cut that section very, very sensitively, so that it doesn't sound like I come right out and ask him if he's gay. Do you remember this? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did that deliberately to just to yeah. to, to, to smooth it out a bit and right. make it just not so. Hey, are you this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I wasn't. I mean, I don't. I think he. I think he probably is. Otherwise, he would say that he wasn't, which is totally fine. Of course, we don't care at all. I just wondered if that was a big part of the story of him and his group that I was missing because I couldn't confirm one way or the other whether he was. So anyway, yeah, um, and there were so, so many, so many names that he he'd worked with, and yeah. all those, all those uh, British R and B bands. There so many, ton of them. Yeah. And, and that, that's another one of those episodes that come up for us sometimes where you got to make a choice. Are you going to insert a snippet of a song for every one of these people that come up in this? Because if you are, you're stopping the momentum every like minute, basically, you know, yeah. or do you put in some of the highlights and just hope that the listener is interesting, interested enough that they'll take some notes or some names will stick in their mind and they'll go look them up on their own. And um, so anyway, I hope that anyone who was interested did that. Okay, Chris Thompson from uh, Manfred Mann. I have to admit, I'm kind of proud of this one. I thought he is, again, going back with some of the people we've talked about, he's the exact kind of person that I like having on this show because, first of all, everyone knows Revved Up Like a Douche. And everyone's con heard that song and confused by the words. And I don't know if anyone even knows that blinded, who sang Blinded by the Light. They've just heard that thing so many times. And I thought, well, let's hear the story from the man himself. And he's done so many other things in his career that you may or may not know. Uh, writing You're the Voice for John Farnham. Uh, being the first to record uh, It's Not Over Till It's Over, which became a big hit for Starship shortly after. And then all the Freddie Mercury stuff was oh. fascinating, right? Oh, that was gut that was gut wrenching. Like it oh, was. no, 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 no. They can't they shouldn't do that. I know. So true. Yeah, he worked so hard on helping put together the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, and he gets cut out, basically. And uh, it was nice to hear who was nice to him, you know? 
Like Joe Elliott of Def Leppard tells him he's sorry, and we would if we had known, we would have cut our set, our set short. And Brian May is obviously his buddy and trying to help him out. It was really sweet to hear who was supportive of him, Elton John. But man, that just, what a kick in the nuts to be cut yeah. out of that thing after all that hard work, you know? Yeah. He's a great guy. And he sent me a care package of CDs of his. And um, that was really sweet. Uh, you know, a, a handful of people have done that over the years and it's really nice when they do. And you know, it was kind of interesting when he talked about Stepping in for, or stepping in for the artists for the, for the rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yes. And you know, singing some of the, some of those songs, and some of them just really can only be sung by Freddie. It's There's so true. No, nobody else. The only the only one that come came close was George Michael. So true. Oh my gosh. So true. Yeah, he was a great guy. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from that one, and I'm really proud of it. And I hope that if anyone skipped over it, I think I can safely say, I think you're going to like that one if you go back and listen. Um, I don't think he ever shared it, which I wish he would have, because I think I know he liked it. But uh, anyway, these people get busy, and I don't want to bug them. Uh, okay, Peter Prescott from Mission of Burma. So Peter is... That band, Mission of Burma, I understand if they're not everyone's cup of tea. I have had them in mind for a long time to get one of them on here. And I haven't because I sort of, to give you a little insight, I, I have a rule where I don't, I don't go after people who have had books written about them, which sounds kind of funny, but I don't care if they've appeared in a book. That's happened a lot, or they've written their own book. But if they have a book written about them, that scares me off because then I think, well, there's there are obviously bigger experts out there than me to tell the Mission of Burma story. It's already there. Um, I'm just going to ruin it. I'm not going to do it justice, and uh, I'm going to come out looking like a poser, and I don't want to do that. But one night we were in Hawaii, and I was watching the documentary on Mission of Burma called uh, Not a Photograph on Amazon Prime. I encourage everyone to watch it. I really like that band. They're a big deal. The I can't stress it enough. Our band could be your life. If you have not read that book, I would highly recommend it if you're a deep movie or a music nerd. And I thought, what the heck? I should just find out. So I emailed their band and Peter got back to me and he sent me some of his uh, files of his new music, the band Mini Beast, which I actually liked a lot better than Mission of Burma. And uh, that ended up being a a really interesting conversation. I could totally understand if it was not everyone's cup of tea. I could tell from the download numbers that it's not one of our most popular. But if you like American post-punk and hardcore and punk, then I hope that you would enjoy that conversation. You know what I mean? What yeah. is that your thing at all? I can understand if if, you, if Mission of Burma was not exactly your style. Oh, I liked it. Did you? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Their stuff. Yeah. Okay, good. As I mentioned, that's the best part about working with you, Yan, is because you like pretty much everything. You're like me that way. I love it. Um, I do think it's interesting how people, and I touched on this with him, and maybe I won't, maybe I've talked about it enough, but I do find it interesting how a band or an artist like Peter and Mission of Burma get to be labeled cool and uh, just earn they they get that title for life, whereas so many other bands aren't considered cool and. Peter is somebody who everything he likes and listens to 
is considered cool too and all the people he works with and all the people in his bands and the bands he likes and all this kind of stuff like what how do how do things get labeled that that doesn't seem fair to me but it, still that's just what happens so anyway i'm always fascinated by that groupthink mentality about what's cool and what isn't Okay, last one is the Hooters deep dive. And uh, this is another one that I'm really proud of. Eric and I, so I'll give you some background. Eric was one of the, he was back in the 30s, wasn't he? We had him on early on. Do you yeah, remember this? He was, he was in the, he might have even been in the 20s. Really? Yeah. For some reason I have like 33 or 36 in my I need to go back and look. But yeah, it was early on. And I was always really proud of having him on because I felt like, uh, yes, the Hooters are sort of, you know, two or three hit wonders in the States, but they've carried on and they have a big fan base. And I always thought having Eric on our show legitimized us in a way, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, you know, this, we, I started out thinking I was going to tell really obscure band stories, people who'd had like a flash of an opportunity and it didn't work out. And that's kind of where I started. And, but it managed to evolve over time thanks to people like Eric being willing to come on you know and uh, you talk to someone like Eric Bazilian and people know the Hooters and they think well if Eric's going to come on then sure I'll talk to this guy and it's just continued to kind of grow ever since I'm still not you know getting Bono or whatever but we've had some decent that's not necessarily even what I'm going for because we all first of all Bono's story has been told and secondly people in big Bands like that are not the most introspective or vulnerable people in the world. And I'm looking for people who are a little more self-effacing and tell their story, you know, more, I don't know, intimately or whatever. And uh, so we're really lucky that Eric has talked to us a couple of times now. And I was really proud of this deep dive. It had been in motion since last year, seven or eight months ago, probably. He, uh, he agreed to do it immediately, but then... He's always, well, we're going on tour. I'll call you. I'll email you when I get back. And of course he doesn't. And so I wait a week, a month or two. Hey, how about now? Yeah, let's do it next week. Okay. When can you do it next week? I'll get back to you. And then he doesn't get back or actually I can't do it now. This other things come up or we're going out of town or whatever. It just took forever and ever. And I finally was able, thanks to Corona to, uh, you know, pin him down. And that was a good, you know, the Hooters, right? Did you know those oh, songs? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Actually, I went back and looked. You were right. It's a 32. Was it 32? Okay. 32. Okay. So if people want to go back and listen to that one, it's episode yeah. 32. And Eric's probably one of my favorite guests. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that might be one of our most popular episodes. I always see this kind of in chapters. Right around uh, episode 50 or 60, the numbers start getting a lot higher not a lot higher but by a few hundred or thousand and um those early ones not everyone who finds us like if you discover us now you go back into the archives not everybody goes back all that way all the way but if you did i think you'd find some really interesting stuff back there and eric's original episode 32 is one of them I, i'm that's always been one of my favorites because the hooters are so great and we had a really good conversation so uh, and I will say he's going on our buddy Ben Montgomery's Records Revisited podcast here very soon. And uh, I love Ben. I love the format of his show. And I love Eric. So that's a match made in heaven. I hope if anyone who listens to us is not familiar with Records Revisited, go check it out. And if nothing else, go check out the Eric Bazilian episode, which is happening soon, I believe. So that's it. That's our first quarter. 
of uh, 2020. Do you have any overriding thoughts or feelings, Ian? Oh, I think we've we've really been on a on a roll this yeah. this year so far, and I, the amount of content we've got coming right now will, yeah. will help people get through this lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I um I've felt really good, as everyone knows. I'm I'm pretty vocal about the times when I get really burnt out, and I don't know if I'm any good at this anymore, or I don't feel like a, it's too emotionally draining or whatever it might be, or I'm concerned about you working too hard, Yan, or whatever it is. I get that way a lot, but I haven't felt that way so far this year. I stand by pretty much every episode we've put out this year, and I feel like we have a lot more uh, good ones in the in the can. There's one, I'm a little bummed. I was going to save, I, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I had our fifth, you know, I always try to make our fifth or our birthday episode somebody big, somebody who's come up in conversation a lot, someone I get a lot of requests for, someone whose story isn't well known, whatever it might be. And our fifth birthday guest was lined up and I was so excited. I was supposed to interview this person this week and uh, they have a new album coming out and it was going to be big. And I found out yesterday that the album's been pushed back and so they're not doing any interviews right now. So our fifth birthday guest has fallen out, but we've got some others. I don't know that they're quite, they're not quite as big as this person I was talking about. Um, are you still having fun doing this? Are you overworked? Oh, yeah. Are you annoyed yeah. at me or nope. anything? Okay. So I'm, I'm loving this. This is great. Okay. If I could find a way to monetize it, I would totally do it. Me too. <laughs> me too. Every Tuesday, because I... I know that you stay up, like sometimes it's two o'clock in the morning, your time, when the Tuesday episode gets posted. And I'm always so worried that you're tired and you're annoyed. And you're just like, man, this sucks. I just want to go to bed. And so, but I, but then that's what happens every week. And so I think, well, this maybe this must be his process. He, I know you're a night owl like I am. Maybe you like staying up late and doing it, you know, uh, when it's quiet or whatever. I don't know. But I'm so grateful every time. Well, I usually start when I finish work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, uh, that's pretty much it. I purposely didn't seek out any questions this time because I felt like we had plenty to talk about without it. I knew that I would be talking a lot about uh, quarantined and my buddy Jason and my life. And it, by, Oh, by the way, I should mention this. Um, some of you may know, I've heard from a few of you, that our friend of the show, Matthew Seligman, is on a respirator or ventilator, I'm sorry, a ventilator in a London hospital with Corona right now. And um, I don't know what to say. I hope, I, I mean, look, I've never met Matthew, but I've had enough interactions with him over the years since starting all of this that uh, I would consider him a friend. If I were in London, I would let him know. And I think we would go out and hang out. And he couldn't be a sweeter guy. And it, he's been on the show twice and he's helped us get in contact with a lot of other people for the show, like Kevin Armstrong and Bruce Woolley and many others. And so I hope that, I mean, it's just another thing that is just sickening about all of this, about this pandemic. And it's taking some of our favorite people away. And I'm concerned that Matthew's going to be one of them. So whatever you guys do, if you pray or you, you just think about things or you don't pray at all or whatever you do to put some good juju out in the world so that things like this don't happen to people we love, which is everybody, um, please do it for the sake of Matthew Selgeman because we don't want anything to happen to him. But I'm, I'm worried. So 
All right, let's take a let's pick our closeout song. I um, I'm going with a band called Howard AMB. So one of our listeners is named Stefan Scott Nelson. I hope I'm saying that right, Stefan. Um, and he's in a group called Howard AMB, which is a weird name. I don't know what that means. And uh, they've got a couple of albums, but one of them, a more recent one, well, from 2016, is called Redicing. Now, it's very kind of music concrete, which is not my jam necessarily. Um, I like hooks and pop songs. This is more kind of noise experimentation. And it, but it's really fascinating because every song on this album features samples from the Thompson Twins. Now, you can't always tell. I'm a big Thompson Twins fan, and it's not readily, obviously apparent in all of these songs. But that's what they use to create the music on this album, is oh, cool. Thompson, yeah, Thompson Twins samples. The album is on Spotify. Again, it's called Redicing. The band is Howard A.M.B., I don't know if that means Howard Dam. I don't know what that means. I don't know. But that's the name of it. Anyway, we're going to play a song off that album called Lying in Snow. I would say of all the songs on the album, this is the most song-like. This is the one that sounds so, most like something you might hear on the radio. And the uh, samples of the Thompson Twins, Hold Me Now, are very obvious in here. And so, anyway, we wanted to throw some love to Stefan for his support. Folks, if you have a song or you're a musician and you have something that people can buy that you would like us to hear, we always try to close out these uh, recap episodes with a song from one of our listeners. Send us a message um, or an email with a link to your music. We have a few more actually in the can that I'm using in future ones, but to add to the list, send us a link to your music. We'll listen to it. We'll pick something to play here at the end to give you a little bit of pub, okay? All right, Lying in Snow, Howard AMB. Yan, thanks for everything. Thanks for being my partner, buddy. Oh, you're welcome. I'm loving this. All right, me too. Uh